This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome into Seattle Sports at Night here. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Curtis Rogers, joined by probably not the most popular Jake in Seattle today. Which is not the most talked about. No, certainly not the most talked about, especially within the last couple of hours. We got Jake Heaps here, the quarterback guru. And I mean, there's there's another quarterback in this town named Jake. There was a battle between two of them out on Montlake, and now we we have a really good idea as to who is going to be the starting quarterback for the University of Washington in the 2019 season. Yeah, Jacob Eason. Jacob Eason. It sounds like all reports are coming in that uh, Jacob Eason is going to be the starting quarterback heading into week one. And uh, finally, finally you have a guy named, and finally it is Jacob Eason. There is a lot of rumors, a lot of reports uh, surrounding this battle, and obviously trying to figure out why the starter hadn't been named sooner, and we'll dive into that later on. Uh, coming up uh, in the next segment, but uh, it, this is great news. This is great news for Husky fans, and I'm extremely excited to watch this kid slinging all over the yard, not only because of his talent, but I know personally behind the scenes that he's worked very hard for this, and he's a great kid, and I am really looking forward to seeing his talent shine through in a big way because this guy can be a difference maker. We know the answer as to who's going to be the Husky starting quarterback, that courtesy of the Seattle Times, Mike Varell and Adam Jude reporting uh, about a half hour ago or so that Jacob Eason is going to be the starting quarterback for the University of Washington in 2019. So we have that answer, but what are the questions that stem from that? What can we expect from Eason under center at, at Montlake? We'll get into that about 15 minutes from now. But uh, as we do each and every night here on Seattle Sports Tonight, we begin things by looking at what is on the timeline and Thursday night's timeline Clearly, UW naming their starting quarterback, that is number one. But the Seahawks also, they have their final practice before heading to Los Angeles to face the Chargers this weekend, preseason week number three. As they say, Jake, this is the most important week of the preseason. It is, and that is because your starters, the guys who are actually going to be playing in the regular season, play the majority of the time. And for the Seahawks, they're not going to dive, they're not going to dive into the third quarter like they have in the past. This is a group that's going to play for the whole first half, and then they'll let the the twos and the threes play in the second half. But, again, we saw a small sample size of what this group looks like, and especially on offense, you have to like what you see. And I'm looking forward to seeing this, this group continue to get more and more reps together. The one thing that really impressed me, Curtis, offensively, is that they were dictating the tempo to the Minnesota Vikings, that they were... Uh, bringing multiple personnels out there. They were attacking. Even when they were in the run game, they were not passive. They were not slow in their approach to the line of scrimmage. And I, and I love to see that moving forward and seeing that progression heading into week three. Uh, and defensively, again, can you continue to progress? Can you show defensive line Jacob Martin, Cassius Marsh, uh, Puna Ford, that you can continue to take step forward? Shaq Griffin, Trey Flowers, uh, and, and this is you're going to be your first crack of seeing Lano Hill uh, come into the fold. So there's a lot of things to be looking at on defense, and I'm very excited to see this Week 3 game. Coming up at 8 o'clock, we're going to tell you what you should be watching for in Week 3. Which position battle should you be watching? Will the backup quarterback competition come down to Week 4? We'll get into that 
about an hour from now. But the Mariners, they have the day off today. That's why we're on the air. But uh, they have the day off today. But tomorrow, the invasion of Blue Jays fans from Canada. Get out of here. Get out of here. It's amazing. Like, it is amazing. Every time the Blue Jays come in here, how many Canadians are coming down supporting the Blue Jays? I feel like last year was the most boisterous they've been. I don't know why, because the Blue Jays were not competitive at all a year ago. They're not even competitive <laughs> this year. They've got some exciting young players, though, Vlad Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette. But it doesn't warrant the just crazy fandom that percolates out in British Columbia. For whatever reason, Blue Jays fans have made it all the way across to B.C., and then they come down to Seattle for just a weekend of madness at T-Mobile Park. Last year, there was a streaker out on the field, and we're not talking a streaker like who just <laughs> took his shirt off. We're talking fully nude. Oh, like, no. Yeah, and and I was at that game with my family, like my parents. <laughs> like, it was awkward. <laughs> you know how, like, you watch a movie? You don't want to see that. Y- you watch a movie and a romantic scene comes on and your parents are obviously in the room with you yes. because that's just how it always works out. Cringe-worthy moments. Yeah. It was that... But in person, like in the flesh, oh. it's just like, ew. Gosh. Yeah. Mom, don't look. Mom, no. don't look. No, yeah. But uh, that happened last year. Hopefully, cooler heads prevail this time. But uh, some interesting things with the Mariners, though, this weekend. We're going to see the return of two notable pitchers in the organization. One who is probably the best starting pitcher the team has ever had, Felix Hernandez. He takes the mound on a major league field for the first time since May coming back, uh, rehabbing that oblique strain that turned into uh, a little bit more there, but it's been, what, four months since we've seen, three months since we've seen Felix out there. Uh, He takes the hill on Saturday. And then Friday night, tomorrow night, if you're out at T-Mobile Park, you're going to see one of the uh, more hyped prospects in the Mariners system, somebody who has made a a brief cameo at the Major League level this season. He's had an up-and-down year in the minor leagues. We're talking Justice Sheffield, who... Earlier this season, struggled in a big way at AAA, got sent down to AA, and has really flourished at that level. Mariners rewarding his uh, his bounce back with a nice major league call-up here to finish out the 2019 season. It, to me, that's huge. For Justice Sheffield, obviously it was disappointing to see him have the type of season that he did getting demoted, but the fact that he's been pitching really well, and that's what was told to me overall. You were trying to, you know, cooler heads prevailing in that moment trying to tell me educate me that hey sometimes players like this they just need to refine their stuff and and down in double a he was able to do that uh, posting a less than a a two two point era uh and and i think for that it, it speaks a lot to justice sheffield and hopefully he can finish out the season strong at the major league level and give mariners fans reason for optimism we've heard a lot this season and we'll talk about this Around 8.15 tonight, we've heard from Mariners uh, farm director Andy McKay talk about he likes, it when, he likes it when prospects have their first struggles, and this by far was Justice Sheffield's first struggle in the minor leagues. He, he had rocketed up the Yankees farm system, and then he got traded over to the Mariners organization, and we saw him take his lumps at the AAA level at the Rainiers this year. We've seen Jared Kelnick a couple of times this season. His, his hitting has cooled off a little bit. But he bounced back. He's now in double A. Julio Rodriguez, he broke his wrist earlier this season, but now he's with Modesto. A lot of these guys atop the Mariners farm system have overcome some adversity this season. I think that's really good to see them experience that thing that might knock them off their path 
and them shake it off, get right back on it, and, and flourish after that. So uh, congrats to Justin Sheffield getting the call up again. Uh, he'll be out on the mound tomorrow night taking on the Blue Jays. Some weird, weird preseason news tonight. Raiders and Packers, they were going up to Winnipeg to play on the Blue Bombers field up in uh, up in Manitoba. Well, they had to move the goalposts back to the back of the end zone. Because right. in Canada, they're in the front of the end zone. Correct, yes. In doing so, the excavation of the goalposts ruined the end zones, making it oh unplayable in, in the end zone. So what did they do? How yeah, did they, they... Can- they canceled the game, right? That's where you're wrong, Jake. They what? shortened the field to 80 yards, making the 10-yard line, each 10-yard line, the goal line. Wow. Oh, The 45-yard line then becomes the half line, the midway point of the field. You're telling me that they actually played, the, they're playing this game in those conditions. They are. It's 21-13 Packers right now. I think wow. it's in the third quarter. Uh yeah, that's incredible for a couple of reasons. One, basically what you're doing now is you're playing a glorified scrimmage. This doesn't feel like a game anymore. It's not a true game because you're not adding all the elements of special teams. So this is a glorified scrimmage. Secondly, when is the NFL going to learn, man? Like, Curtis, come on. Like, this is multiple times now where they are going to uh, an, an off-site uh, field that is in horrible condition. You have this in Winnipeg. You had this last year for the L.A. Rams and, and uh, Kansas City Chiefs going to Mexico, and those, and those conditions for that field was atrocious. The Hall of Fame game uh, like two or three years ago, yeah. they had a paint issue. And then people forget, last year's Seahawks game was meant to be played in Tottenham Stadium. Instead, the game was moved to Wembley because of field concerns. Right. So these these games that are in these special locations, it's just a one-time thing. Maybe it should be a none-time thing? Well, the NFL has to do more. They have to be better at, at making sure that these field conditions are in proper position for these players. The safety of these players is the utmost importance. And if you're going to do these cute little uh, games, one-time deals, it better be right. And the NFL is too big of a business to not get it right. And so that to me is unacceptable to have situations like this occur. Yeah, I mean, and if you're the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, you, wouldn't you be pissed? Yeah, your field's messed up now. Right. We try to accommodate the NFL and you guys just totally screw our field. Oh, wow. I know the Seahawks field managers in that case if it happened to their field, they would be losing their minds. Yeah, you just Come on, NFL. You're a multi-billion dollar organization, and yet for some reason you continually overlook field conditions in these exhibitions and these special weeks where you take the game internationally. Like, was there no foresight in, in your in your league office? Like, did somebody think, hey, maybe the goalpost situation that could do something uh, herky jerky here? Clearly not. Clearly not. Clearly not. Uh, Coors Light text line there for you, 710-710. The 253 coming in with the – we were talking about the streaker (laughs) at the Blue Jays-Mariners game last year. They give us their version of cringeworthy. They go, my mother turned 100, but when it first came out, we took her to see Borat. Oh. That's Jim out in Port Orchard. Jim – from Port Orchard. What is wrong with you? <laughs> you turn you took your 100-year-old mom to go see Borat in theaters? Wow. Either that is one of the I mean, coolest moms ever yeah. or you guys are you guys really didn't think that one through. I hope she she went I hope she made it to 101 because <laughs> that's 
Yeah. That could scar anybody. 100%. 100-year-old. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> Uh, four two five also texting saying that there's nobody at the game in Winnipeg. I believe they only sold close to ten thousand seats in a stadium that seats almost thirty thousand. So, if you're there in in Winnipeg, a you're not seeing really any superstars play. Aaron Rodgers sat out. I think there was a, a tweet that said the Packers were sitting thirty three players tonight. 33 guys undressed on their 90-man wow. roster. Well, I mean, look, if you have those types of field conditions, I mean, why would you? Why would you put uh, your star caliber players out on the field? I mean, all around, the NFL missed the mark on this terribly. It is it is absurd that they, they're they even going through with this game. But uh, we'll keep you updated on that as well. Uh, 206, correcting my math, they said, why would the 45-yard line be the middle? If both 10s were the goal lines, the 50 would still be the middle. Touche, touche. You're right. Uh, coming up in this hour, we got four down territory about a half hour from now. But up next, now that Jacob Eason has been named the starting quarterback for the Huskies, what can we expect from the junior quarterback? We talk that next. Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Coors Light text line, always there as your friend. You can text that whenever you whenever you please, right here on Seattle Sports Tonight. Jake, we've, I've got NFL Network whip around coverage of preseason going on right now on the monitor here in uh-huh. studio, and they've conveniently neglected to show any footage from the Raiders-Packers game tonight. Oh, really? Yeah. They, they didn't want to highlight that, uh, that really nice field that they're playing on, that... Uh... That they absolutely debauched, yeah, and they, uh, they didn't want to show the ravenous crowd that's there. All all eight thousand Blue Bombers fans <laughs> that show up, and they don't even get to see Aaron Rodgers play. Derek Carr's probably not playing. Uh, I mean, just it, it is a shell of what uh, what an NFL game would look like under normal circumstances. Uh, but yeah, if you're if you're joining us. The uh, Raiders and Packers, they are currently playing a preseason game north of the border in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and they're playing on an 80-yard field because the end zones have been destroyed by uh, them ripping up the goalposts and moving them back. So, hate to see it. (laughs) That's all you can say right now is just hate to see it. But uh, one thing you do love to see is the Huskies deciding on a quarterback, and it looks like that is the case Mike Varell and Adam Jude of the Seattle Times reporting tonight that the Huskies have decided on Jacob Eason to be their starting quarterback for the 2019 season. Eason, the former five-star recruit who committed to Georgia out of high school from Lake Stevens, spent two years with the Bulldogs, transferred to Washington after his sophomore season as Jake Fromm uh, overtook him. Just another Jake to throw in all this mess. You've got Jacob Sermon, Hayner, Eason, Fromm, Locker Browning, and I've got heaps with me. Yes. So, I mean, now that we've figured out which Jake is the starting quarterback for the Huskies, (laughs) what can we expect from him in 2019 now that the circus of spring ball and of fall camp is now behind us and Jacob Eason's the bona fide starter? Right. This is huge. I mean, honestly, it was something that I was clamoring for and was wishing that it would happen sooner rather than later because the reality is, although... You've got a 6'5", 230-pound 
gunslinger who has one of the elite arms in college football. And and I've seen my fair share of elite arms in my time and being around NFL guys. And look, Jacob Eason has that arm talent, has that special arm talent, not just a guy that can compete at an above-average level, but an elite level. Um, but with all those things being said, he hasn't played a meaningful snap in two years. So getting as much reps as possible with the first team is is the first priority uh, for this for this offense for it to be as successful as it needs to be. The nice thing for them is that they're playing Eastern Washington Week One, and I don't say that lightly because Eastern Washington is one of the premier FCS programs in the country, and they typically give these Division One Pac-12 schools a run for their money on these opening games. They have great history of going toe to toe. Uh, with these programs, but you look at UW's defense. I don't think it's going to be a shootout type of game. Um, I believe it'll be cl- it'll be it won't be a blowout, but it, I don't anticipate this one being close. So they're going to be able to afford uh, some mistakes here and there and work out some of the kinks. But what I'm hoping for is that Jacob's able to come in, have great command, have great feel, and hopefully now that they have named him the starter, that this offense the coaching staff they will be focused on building this kid up instead of tearing trying to tear him down so to speak not in the sense that they are punishing him or uh, you know demeaning him in any way but the talk has always been tight-lipped yeah okay we know that this kid was a former five-star guy we don't care about that he has to earn the job he's won the job earn the job now it's time to build his confidence, build the continuity between him and the rest of the guys on that offense, and let's go, let's move forward, let's try and go win a Pac-12 championship, a Rose Bowl, or compete at the college football playoff level. That's the ultimate goal here. When you look at the skill position guys surrounding Jacob Eason in 2019, where would you compare those guys to what Jake Browning had his final year at UW, which was just a year ago. Right. I would say that overall, you you do lose Drew Sample, you do lose Miles Gaskins, but the unique part about this is that uh, this receiving group uh, is not an elite group, but they have gotten older. They have re- upgraded in terms of their uh, position re- coach and, and receiver coach in uh, Junior Adams, and so you'd expect those guys to perform better than what they did last year on the outside. Uh, the other part of it, too, is that you have Savon Ahmed, and a pretty good uh, stable of running backs. And then you have you lose Drew Sample, who was a second-round pick to the Bengals, but you also have Hunter Bryant coming back healthy. And Hunter Bryant is probably your best playmaking receiving threat on this offense. So they have enough pieces around him uh, for him to be successful and to push the ball down the field, which is some, which is his strengths. And Trey Adams at left tackle. Right, exactly. And and this is a veteran group up front. So. This this is a group on offense, on paper, that's set up to do good things. It's just a matter of can they build that chemistry, and more importantly, Curtis, does this offense have an identity? And that was the biggest weakness of this offense last year was you didn't know who they were, what they were good at, um, and they were trying to find themselves, Bush Hamden, first-year play caller, trying to figure out what his philosophy is. And hopefully in year two, 
that he's got a firmer foundation of what that looks like and also knowing who your starting quarterback's going to be that you can build this system around his strengths and and perpetuate his strengths. And that's that's what I'll be looking for heading into week one because come week two, Curtis, you're going to have a legitimate test with Cal. They're, they're one of the better defenses in the Pac-12. They had your number last year. And if you're not on your P's and Q's and operating at a high level on offense, this is a group that can be dangerous. So they need to get on the same page in a hurry. And like I said, a guy like Eason – He's been through a lot in his short career. It's more about can how can we best build this kid up so that he can come out there week one and just go rip it, be loose, have fun. Probably one of my favorite attributes of Eason has also been one of his most critiqued attributes so far, Curtis, is his personality. And the reason why it's been critiqued is because he's not this typical uh, you know, grab the bull by the horns type of personality that's fiery, that's that's super energetic, you know, yelling at guys, trying to get them pumped up and, and going. Uh, Jacob is a very laid-back personality, um, very cool, calm, and collected. And where that comes into play is he's a real calming force. When things get intense, when things get crazy, when adversity hits – He's going to be a calming force for those guys out there on the field. And and so I'm really looking forward to seeing how it all comes together for him because obviously the expectations are high. I like that you brought up the schedule that the Huskies have with a conference game, their second game out of the gates against a team that had your number a year ago and completely neutralized the Huskies' offense. We see it, we see it so much in college football teams not deciding on a starting quarterback until like three or four games into the season. Heck, Clemson, your national champions last year, did not settle on a starting quarterback until four games into the year, and they said Trevor Lawrence is our guy over Kelly Bryant, and then Bryant then transferred to Missouri. You look at the mid po- the midpoint of the Huskies' schedule this season. I'm going to pick it up probably week four here at BYU, which, as you know, you, you spent time in Provo, and that's not an easy place to play for opponents. You've got the elevation to worry about and also a pretty raucous fan base. They have USC at home, which right. USC, they may not have the record over the last couple of years, but they still have four- and five-star guys. They have as many four- and five-star guys as the Huskies have. Actually, they probably have more. And then you've got at Stanford. Uh, at Arizona, which you don't quite know, it's hard to get a good read on the Wildcats. With, they're, they're a streaky team. They, they are. They, they come to play some games, and some games you don't know exactly what happened. But uh, as, as an alum, <laughs> I can 100% vouch for you on that. But then uh, October, you've got Oregon, and then you've got Utah back-to-back weeks at home. That mid part of the schedule, that is really going to define the Huskies' season if they can get through that with just one loss, I think that's going to be great. And and the fact that they have a starting quarterback set now, uh, you, you're not going to spend those weeks still wondering like, oh, I wonder what uh, Jake Hayner can give me. I wonder what uh, you know Jacob Sermon has in, in that arm of his. No, you've got Jacob Eason now. He's your guy, and you you're going to have games under your belt before you ramp up for that mid part of the uh, of the schedule. That's going to really. Uh, we're going to really find out who these Huskies are. Absolutely. And that's where this the way the schedule works out and shapes up, it, it honestly works out to the benefit of Washington. The The real key is, is getting ready for Week 2. Like we talked about, Eastern is going to be a tough opponent, but it, they could honestly out-physical them by running the football and, and just managing the clock and getting through that game. 
but hopefully you're you're progressing in a, in a in a great way on offense. The passing game is really clicking. You're finding out exactly what Easton's strengths are, and and you're able to really form your identity by the time you get to USC and Stanford and and Washington or uh, in Oregon and Utah. Those those are the key pieces there. And uh, you know Easton is the type of player that. If you get him comfortable and you get him processing at a high level and he's trusting what he's seeing and letting it go, it is going to be really, really fun to watch. And this offense can go to new heights than it's never been before. And that is even when you're talking about uh, Jake Browning, John Ross, Dante Pettis back in Jake Browning's uh, sophomore season. Uh, I don't know. I don't think the offense is built to be that elite in terms of their production, but uh, Jacob Eason has the ability to make throws that just simply other guys don't. Um, and so that's that's the part where he can throw guys open versus Bush Hamden having to manufacture guys being open. What do you think of this move? You can tweet at us at JTHeaps9 and at a kid from Kent. You can also hit us up on the Coors Light text line 710-710. What do you think of Jacob Eason being named the Huskies' starting quarterback? But up next, Bobby Wagner. For the first time since signing his contract extension, he speaks to our very own Brock and Salk. He did that this morning. What did he have to say? What is the best thing we heard from him? We'll give you that next right here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Having some fun on this Thursday night. Coming up at 8 o'clock, we will tell you what to watch for in week three of the preseason Seahawks heading down to San or heading down to LA, not San Diego. It's still weird to say LA Chargers. It, it really is, man. Like I, you catch yourself. The I wonder how long it's going to take us, Curtis, uh, to to really change that up. Because I'm sure it was weird for people when the Rams were in LA and then they switched to St. Louis, and now they're back in LA. Right? Yeah. It, it, it's weird. It's not as weird now for me to say T-Mobile Park instead of Safeco Field, and maybe it's because doing post-game shows, like I just have to like ingrain it into my mind, right? But it still, it still sounds weird. It's still like when you hear it, it still is like, eh, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's just not. It's just not quite right. And, yeah. And the funny part about it too is, is that the Chargers. I think people have embraced the Rams, and obviously they've been successful and. Uh, the Chargers extremely successful in what they've been able to do, but L.A. hasn't quite gra- uh, no. gravitated to the Chargers, and that hasn't seemed like it's been a positive move uh, from a business standpoint at all. So it, it'll be interesting to see what ends up happening with the Chargers and their longevity in L.A. Yeah, like you, there are so many shots of Chargers games still. Like this is their third year in L.A. where they pan through the crowd, and you can count the number of Chargers fans among the sea of visiting fans. I think, like, the Chiefs, they took a picture of their of the Chargers stadium when Kansas City went down to play a road game, and it was just – it was Arrowhead Stadium West. Right. And, like, Eagles fans, uh, they they filled out that, that stadium as well. Obviously, Seahawks fans, they're going to go down there on, on Saturday night and just wreak havoc in that stadium, even though it's a preseason game. Like – the NFL probably the Chargers stadium situation in San Diego, that's got to be one of their bigger regrets because they filled out 
Qualcomm Stadium every single week. Yeah, they did well. They did absolutely well, and I felt like they had a good enough following. But again, it goes down to owners and uh, you know, a part of it needing renovations, but also being greedy in the sense of where is that money coming from? And ultimately, yeah, if they had to do it again, I, I believe the Chargers would remain in San Diego. Uh, it, it was the best thing for them at this time. And, you know, time time will tell, but right now doesn't look good. Doesn't look good, uh, but uh, as the Seahawks gear up for week three of the preseason, Bobby Wagner uh, has yet to play in a preseason game, still recovering from that blood-spinning treatment he had right before week one of the preseason. But he's got the new contract. He's got that under his belt. He's locked up uh, with the Seahawks organization for what was it? Four years or three-year extension, fifty-four million dollars, eighteen million per is that average annual value. He's now the highest-paid linebacker in the game. And Bobby Wagner, uh, he joined Brock and Salk this morning and talked a lot about the negotiations between him and the Seahawks and talked about doing things the right way when it came to those negotiations. That's the thing that goes the farthest is your word and how you conduct yourself during the process and you know because at the end of the day like whether you get a deal done or not get a deal done whenever you're done how you handled that process will be what people remember so when you um when it's time for you to do something else or do a deal they're either gonna say it was fun to work with him cool to work with him like or whatever like i'll do a deal with him again or Mm -hmm. it's like man i don't ever want to see that guy ever again it's Cool to hear Bobby talk that way after those negotiations. And I, I I don't know if he would have a different tune if the negotiations worked out in a different way where he didn't get the money he wanted or the Seahawks were just like, no, we're not going to sign you to an extension. But for him to say you always want you know the last little bit of your negotiation to kind of be the lasting impression they have of you, I don't think the other guys that came before him in the Seahawks organization that entered into those contract negotiations or, or didn't get the money that they, they asked for. I don't know if they had that kind of mindset entering into the negotiations. No, Bobby is a different breed, man. Like he is a different animal when it comes to playing on the field. And also in these situations, he's just different. And when you talk about trying to handle things the right way, Bobby did things in the utmost class, meaning that there wasn't this back and forth clash of media going behind the scenes. Uh, the the conversations were very real, um, and and also being able to take in stride the the negative sides with the positive sides, and and Bobby just taking a totally different mindset on this, of not looking at it like, hey, I'm going to do everything in my power to get mine. Although he did ultimately, that was the goal. That wasn't necessarily his mindset. It was it was to do something challenging and fun and different. And, and you know, I love what he talked about. Um, you know, uh, Curtis, if we could play the sound of him, you know, talking about taking the middleman out of the contract. Yeah, uh, he talked about uh, just eliminating the middleman uh, out of his contract because he represented himself. Players uh, kind of rely on the middleman a vast majority of their career. Like you think about guys that got uh, Nike or Jordan contracts, like they always rely on the agent. So then when they're done playing football, they don't have no relationship or contact. And you've been with Nike or Jordan for like 13 years and you don't know anybody. So uh, a lot of it was just um, taking the minimum out of it and starting to create those relationships for yourself. 
you look at the the number figure that Bobby got in his deal, and he was still able to become the highest paid linebacker in the NFL, representing himself. Does that encourage more players to say, "Hey, like I don't need this guy taking ten percent out of my paycheck every single week for him representing me, where I can keep that ten percent and still get what I want." Yeah, for for the NFL, typical the agents, uh, what they do, what their fee is, is three percent. Curtis, um, and oh so, man, my, so, yeah. my agency, you know, <laughs> you know me, I'm, I'm represented by just the the top flight agents. Right, they there. are they are they're ripping me your off. Con- yeah. Contract hand over fist. <laughs> I don't right have now. I don't have enough money to give them ten percent. Ten percent, I'm down to zero. Uh, it, you know, I, I think the bigger thing in in all of this for for Bobby is is exactly what he said. Is look, is three percent going to be the difference i've had conversations with multiple people about this for bobby and what's the right way what's the you know best way of going about it and for some people they're like look i don't even want to deal with that side of it because look is it three percent that i'm saving it also could be more than that that i lose if i don't negotiate my deal properly right there's little things in contracts little sidebars that if you don't negotiate right you can lose out on a ton of money so there, you could lose out really fast, and that's where the agent comes into play. But Bobby negotiated this properly. But the other part of it is, though, like he pointed out, Nike, Jordan, whatever the branding is going through him, Beacon Plumbing that he has, it's, it's not the just honorary GM. It's not just the agent saying, "Hey, Bobby, I've got this. I've lined this up for you," and the agent builds the contacts. Bobby will have those contacts and personal relationships with the direct people in charge for life. And he is planning for life after football. You don't have that mindset if you just think, I'm on top of the world, I'm going to play forever. He knows that by developing those relationships, it will help him down the road even when light, when football is over. So it's a unique and really cool perspective from Bobby. The, the other thing that I was really uh, it really struck me, Curtis, is when Bobby, there's a couple things, but one talking about, um, you know, Bobby talking why certain players it doesn't end well for them when they have left the Seahawks and just kind of left the uh, uh, if you know fire on the way out out the door. It's like if you you're with somebody for a long time and then it doesn't work out and you have to to leave. Majority of the times it's not going to be on like good terms because you're going to be frustrated that you have to leave because there's so many different things that come into play when when we're talking specifically in the league. It's like you're not the only one that has to leave Seattle. It's your family. Mm-hmm. You have to leave your friends. You have to leave all these different people. So you have to answer questions from your kids. Why do they have to give up their family and things of that nature? So when you have all of that, that's not positive energy. So when you get asked about the situation, you're not going to say, like, oh, man, it's the best thing that ever happened to me because you still want to be there. There, That's the, that's the human side of it, right? Yeah. That – Look, there's so many different things, and, and people have set roots here. Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, uh, Michael Bennett, Cam Chancellor, these guys have set roots here in Seattle. This wasn't just a place where they played. This became home to them. And the 12s in the community embraced them in such a way that where they said, I want to be here for the rest of my life with my family. And to ultimately have that taken away from them just in the natural things of the NFL business, I mean, that's extremely hard. And so you're, you're getting pulled from that side of it. 
you're also getting pulled from the emotional and prideful side of it of, look, I'm one of the best players in this league. I've given so much to this community, so much to this organization. And for you guys to essentially turn your back on me now, that's a hard pill to swallow for anybody, let alone someone like Richard Sherman, someone like Earl Thomas. And to have that perspective and say, you know what? It, it sucks, it's hard, but this is the NFL business is business, and I understand that they're trying to do what's best for their organization. You just really don't have that perspective when it's when it's you that's taking the bullet in the moment. And yeah. did those guys handle it right? No. But when you have those big personalities and those fiery personalities, it's really tough to just sit there and say that it that it should and would end reasonably. Yeah, I mean, especially with you've got – people telling you like reasons why you don't deserve this extension when your resume and what you've accomplished here in Seattle says that you should be employed for life. I mean, no other, no other team ever has won a championship in Seahawks franchise history. And the team that was anchored by the, the names that have become household names, not just household names, but names that this city is never going to forget. I think guys definitely buy into the press that they hear and say, well, look what I did for you. No one else has ever done this. You're not going to get this from any other person. Correct. That's why I deserve to be here for however long I say I should be here. And that's just not how it works. A lot of the times in the NFL, I mean, you could probably, I mean, even Peyton Manning got cut by the Colts. Yeah. Like that's, that's the, that's like the one transaction I come back to when people are like, Oh, how could you release this guy? It's like, well, the second best quarterback of all time was cut by a team he gave like 16, 17 years to. A hundred percent. And you go back even further than that, Joe Montana as well. Yeah, right? he was cut 49ers. by the 49ers. So it, it happens to everybody. This is the mo- This is one of the most cutthroat businesses in the entire world, let alone sports, right? So it, it's, a tough, it's a tough deal to deal with. And I'll, I'll say this before we wrap it up. Uh, the one other soundbite that I want to get to, it just goes to show Bobby Wagner's leadership, his style, and who he is as a person. Talking about his example of sharing your scars, and I'll, I'll kind of explain that further. When you talk about share your scars, it's like, okay, uh, maybe my rookie year, there was a play that I messed up a lot on, and then I watch a rookie make that mistake. And so I can go to him and be like, hey, look, trust me, you don't want to get beat on this play because yeah. then they're going to try you for the rest of the season. So awesome. this is what I did to make sure that didn't happen again, and that player can either listen or not. That, to me, is, is huge. Uh, it's also something that Pete Carroll preaches all the time, share your scars, and, and they do that a lot in, in that building. But Bobby Wagner has taken that to another level, and you know, sharing with the younger players the mistakes that he has made, the, the things that he has had to learn um, from his time and in his seven seasons, and for him to be so open and honest and caring and supportive of his teammates is one of the main reasons why not only that organization from the top down is the best, but one of the best locker room environments that you could ever be in culturally in the NFL. Four down territory next here on Seattle Sports at Night. Which player has the most to gain in week three of the preseason? Who's got the most to lose? We answer those next. Seattle Sports at Night on 710 ESPN Seattle. This this is four down territory on Seattle Sports at Night. You got dig deep, deep, deep. Four down territory right here, Seattle Sports at night. Clock is running on us, so let's get to first down. Number one. First down to you, Jake. 
We're in up tempo, Curtis. Yeah, we yeah. Get we on are. the ball. Get on the ball. Let's roll. We got the guru Jake Heaps here answering four of the biggest football questions. Jake, I want to know from you which player on the Seahawks roster bubble has the most to gain in week three? Omaha, Omaha. Said hot. Uh Geno Smith to me is the guy that uh is the guy on the situation where he has the most to gain in week three. Obviously, Paxton Lynch had a great game one, wasn't able to capitalize on it, uh, the opportunity of having a great great week of practice, but game two was not able to put it together uh, versus the Minnesota Vikings getting a large sample size of reps. And for Geno Smith, he has been the guy that has been very steady so far in the offseason when we've watched them in, in, the, in this quarterback battle, and that's why going into game one, it felt like Geno Smith had that that backup job locked up. And if Geno Smith can come in after this Paxton Lynch injury and perform well uh, with the majority of the reps in Game 3, I believe he will have done enough to get that job. Number two. Second down on the opposite end of that spectrum. Who's got the most to lose in Week 3? Yeah, this may be a surprising answer to people. Uh, I believe it's Barkevious Mingo. And I trust me, I know how great of a special teams player he is, but you've also drafted a lot of great special teams players and uh, guys that have come through and shown through that they can perform at a high level for you. And the reason why I say Barkevious Mingo, because if he doesn't show promise in his ability to secure the edge and get after the passer, then maybe the Seahawks are empowered then. John Schneider, Pete Carroll are empowered to say, you know what? We actually do need to take that risk in going after Jadavian Clowney or Everson Griffin or a player like that. So uh, to me, if you're Barkevious Mingo taking on around a $4 million cap hit, you've got to come and show in, in week three that you can really have some twitch to you and get that pressure on the quarterback. Number three. Third down, we're moving right along here. Defense is gassed. We got them on their we got them hands on knees. Hey, we know how to run a two minute drill here in Seattle. We know how to get it done. So with Jacob Eason now being named the starting quarterback of the Huskies, what will you be looking for from UW's offense heading into week one? Two things. One, I'll be looking for Eason's command. Command of the operation, command of the pocket. Does he look rattled out here? Does he look like he is trying to search and get in rhythm? Or does he look confident out there? That's number one, what I'll be looking for. And number two is Bush Hamden and this offensive identity. What is this offense? And do they have a clear game plan moving forward for what they're going to be, how they're going to grow and and evolve as the games and weeks progress. Because if they truly want to be and compete for the Pac-12 this year against some great teams in Oregon and, and Utah and Cal's got great defense, you have to be able to be firm in your identity and really build around Jacob Eason's strengths. Number four. Fourth down. Last opportunity to put seven on the board. I feel like this won't even. We don't even need a jump ball. I mean, we're we're just slicing and dicing our we're way. Call, we're calling our best play here. We are. From what you've seen from Rashad Penny through two weeks of the preseason, does his production concern you? Yeah, I've heard this a lot, and actually, I was asked uh, this question uh, multiple times in different ways on Bob Graz and Tom earlier today about Rashad Penny and. It, are, is there concern about Rashad Penny? And he hasn't gotten a lot of reps with the first team. There was a lot of concern from Seahawks fans and, and everybody looking at it. I get it. I understand. Rashad Penny hasn't come out and looked like a bright star, and, and you haven't seen that 
growth in Rashad Penny that you would like to see or what you've heard of from the offseason. The reality is, is that he's been playing with a subpar second string, third string offensive line when he's gotten his opportunities. But the fact that he hasn't gotten first string reps yet is the reality of the first team offense only went two series last week, right? They only went two series, and you have Chris Carson, who is going to be one of the premier backs in this league. He showed that he was last year. I think he's going to take a step forward this year. And so Rashad Penny is coming in relief of Chris Carson, and I believe that he's going to have a great role. He's going to have a great impact, and you're going to see him be part of the first-team rotation now that you're going to see a larger sample size of the first-team offense come week three. So I think that's where more you can get a better uh, mark of where Rashad Penny's at, his playmaking ability, and has he truly progressed? The answer is yes, however, Curtis. This guy has progressed. He's better mentally. He's better prepared. And this coaching staff, the players are excited to see what this guy can ultimately do come regular season time. Seven's on the board. That is another edition of Four Down Territory. Woo! Four of the biggest football questions from any team here in the Northwest. We may even throw in some Seattle Dragons questions Let's in the go, man. territory coming up uh, later. Uh, I mean, Ryan Gustafson, team president, he joined John Clayton earlier today. You can check out that podcast. You can check out our podcast, 710sports.com. Click on On Demand. Scroll down. You can see our smiling faces smiling right back at you. You can also subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever it is you get your podcast. you can find us there. Coming up in the second hour, Justice Sheffield, Felix Hernandez, whose return to the Mariners intrigues you more, but what are you going to need to watch out for in week three of the preseason for the Seahawks? We talk that next. Curtis Rogers, Jake Heap, 710 ESPN Seattle.